What we're looking at today is essentially the rest of the New Testament, right? Um, last week, if you were here, it was kind of, we looked at it at how his story or God's story, the story of, of going from looking from Genesis all the way through kind of the Old Testament and coming into the Gospels, how it kind of became our story, right? That we, it's where we entered into the picture. Now, what does it look like for us to participate in what God is doing? And we're kind of finishing it out with, um, this is our now our mission and this is where our emphasis at, and that's really what the whole of the New Testament's about, is what does it look like for us to participate in what God is doing in the world? What does it look like for people that are trusting God to continue his mission, and how do we do that, and, and how do we grow, and, and all of the different nuance of being a follower of Jesus is pretty much the whole of uh, the New Testament, and so that's what we're going to be focusing on, and so last week we spent a lot of time looking at what is a disciple, what is discipleship? What is it not? If you missed that, you're more than welcome to jump on. We do have it on our podcast and things like that. Um, and so today, if we're looking at last week at the what, he's struggling, huh? Man. Um, if last week we were looking at the what, this week we're going to look at the how. And so um, we're going to start with kind of looking at if you were here last week, we had Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John, all, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all had this proclamation that Jesus made. The Great Commission is in Matthew. Mark gave a version of it, and Luke gave a version of it. And so what we did is we, I compiled those last week, and we kind of looked at different aspects of that. And so with Mark, one of the things he said where Matthew said, go into all the world and make disciples, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, um, teaching them to observe all the things that I've taught you. And uh, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Mark said, go into all the world and proclaim or communicate the gospel to all creation. And so this idea of going make disciples involves communicating and preaching and proclaiming the gospel. So it leads to the question, what is the gospel? Now, I know that, um, that that's kind of a loaded question because depending on your background, depending on what church culture you grew up in, that word can mean a bunch of different things to all of us, right? And so at its core, the word gospel means good news. And in its origin, in this context, when the Bible was written, when they were talking about good news or heralds communicating something, it always, almost always was used in regards to a king. Almost always. The idea that a king came and conquered a land, or maybe a new king was born, or, or a king died, they would send out evangels, or we get the word evangelistic, and they would herald the good news of a king. They'd go to the city and say, there's a king, or the king is one, or you have a new king because you were conquered, or whatever it may be. The good news was proclaiming a king and a kingdom. And so if you are part of any part of our series, what we looked at was how Jesus is the fulfillment of a Jewish story. He's the promised king to a Jewish people. How God had promised that through the line of David, there would be a king one day that would sit on the throne and his kingdom would go forever. And the Jewish people were waiting for the king, the savior of the world. They called him the Messiah. And Jesus came and he fulfilled the Jewish story, being their king. He was the promised king sitting on David's throne. 
But the gospel is also, as we've been looking over this time, is not just was a proclamation of good news about a king, but it was a good news about a story. Ultimately, it was a story about God redeeming the world. The Bible is a story about God first and foremost, about, for foremost, about God coming and, and creating a people to image him and how although that people rebelled in sin and brokenness entered in the world because of all of that, how he pursued a rebellious people and he promised to save them one day and it was culminated in Jesus coming and living the life that we can't live and dying to death that we deserve so that he might restore the relationship with God, that humans can have a relationship with God again. Jesus fulfilled everything necessary that is required for humans to be in a relationship with God, but he also paid every debt that we've accrued through our rebellion or sin and our brokenness that kept us separated from God. It was, it was two parts. And so proclaiming the gospel involves this, this communication about this work that God has done that culminated in Jesus, and it's this hope that there's a new king. Now, here's the thing with the gospel, the good news that's culminated in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. It's only the proclamation of the gospel is only as effective as our demonstration of the gospel, right? If my life or of how I'm living or if I'm, what I'm doing it is not lining up with what I'm communicating, what I say is going to have very little effect on the people around me. Or if all, and, or maybe our life is dialed, we're, like we're doing well, like that. That, that happens, right? But the person that we're communicating with has no clue because they're not in any way, shape, or form in relationship with us or have never seen that, then it's not going to have as much of an effect. And so one of the aspects of us going into all the world and proclaiming the gospel, the proclamation is very much dependent upon, um, at the end of the day, our demonstration and how we're communicating the gospel, right? Now, is God powerful enough to take our struggles and our weakness, he does all the time, and use whatever we say and, and, and let it impact people in a profound way? Absolutely. I rely on that every single day, and I definitely rely on it every single Sunday, okay? Because if it's dependent upon my perfection or my good living only to be able to communicate, then we're all in trouble. But what I'm saying is, is that often, what's one of the number one things, when you talk to someone that's not a follower of Jesus, what's the number one thing often they say when regards to the church? They're all hypocrites right? They're all hypocrites. Why would I, like, they don't even, they're talking about this, but they don't live it, right? I know this, I know about that about them, and, and there's, it's not lining up. And so our communication needs to be both with our witness, how we live and what we do and what we've experienced, but also with our words. So that's what Mark emphasized, this idea of proclaiming the gospel. Now, Luke went a little bit different way. He said that we're going to go into all the world, and we're going to uh, proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins, which is also part of the gospel, right? It's also part of how we make disciples. And we touched a little bit on this last week, but I think that, um, I think it's important for us to talk about sin. Now, I know the word gets weird sometimes, right? I know that some people are like, man, sin's such a, a crazy word, and we're gonna get into the why of that in a second. But the reason why I think it's important for us to talk about that, and that's why, and why is that a part of the good news, is that, Sin is something that has caused all destruction, all brokenness, all ultimately sin, death, disease, suffering, and pain is a result of sin, okay? This world was not created with those things baked in, 
right? God created a holy, a good, and a perfect world, a place where humans can flourish and grow and, and experience life and thrive in relationship with God, and sin ruined it. Now, the word sin is interesting because I think so often it, we, we look at it as this, that it's this only this like rebellion against God, and it is, but the word itself literally means missing the mark. It's an archery term, right? Like you're aiming, you're trying, and you just miss, right? Like it's, you weren't intending to hurt somebody, you know, but man, you're bad at aiming and that arrow got somebody else, right? Like you didn't mean to, right? That was me yesterday, right? I just totally missed a mark. Arrows were flying. It was gross. Thank God for his grace. So sin at its core means missing the mark. Now there's also rebellion. Uh, there's also trespasses used. But the idea is that sin at its core is a rebellion. It, 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 it's an, a sin, it's an offense, it's against God first and foremost. Like we might, I might hurt somebody else, I might sin against somebody else, but first and foremost, I've ultimately sinned against God. And so God is the, the most uh, sin, guiltiest, like the, the, that's the person, most offended party, right? God is most offended party. And God being this holy and perfect God can't just go, you're all forgiven. No big deal, right? It is a big deal. Like people have been hurt. People have been killed and abused and all of the, God can't go like, nah, not a big deal, right? God is loving. He loves everyone, but God is just. And so having to deal with sin took some creativity, really. At the end of the day, God is so brilliant in how he worked everything. He couldn't just pardon sin. He could not let the guilty go free. That would be unjust. And so what God initially instituted was animal sacrifice. It's something, the Bible tells us, that the wages of sin is death, okay? But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. But so something has to die. And so God starts with animal sacrifice, that these animals would take kind of our place for a time where they would die so that we wouldn't have to. Now, this was ultimately fulfilled in Jesus because when in his timing, when God chose, Jesus came, and he was the perfect sacrifice. He lived this perfect, holy life. He fulfilled everything that God required of human beings to be in relation with him. But then he went to the cross and was sacrificed once and for all so that we wouldn't have to be. And so God, being just, was able to judge Jesus and our sin on the cross for him so that we wouldn't have to be, so he could then forgive us but it still costs something, right? So that's why it's a big deal. Like, we never wanted to make light of, of, of sin because Jesus had to die for it, right? Like, it is a big deal. But here's the thing. When Jesus died, there's death that we deserve so we would be forgiven. Why is sin such a weird word? Why is it such a thing where some people like cringe, where we're like, we feel like we talk about it. Like, I think part of it is because we all struggle and it's like always like, oh, is he gonna talk about that thing that I do? You know, like, maybe. But I think at the end of the day, this is why, at least in my experience. In many churches, I think this word is misused. It's used to manipulate. It's used to shame. It's used to abuse. And it's used, I think, biggest to control. And what I mean by that is this. Often, I think a lot of, in, in, in really good motives, churches create culture that's, I like to call it, sin-centric. What do I mean by sin-centric? Every message, every communication, everything being taught, every conversation is focused on either on sin, on what to avoid and what to stop and, and how to stop it. That, 
what, what, what Christianity, what being a follower of Jesus has been reduced to is sinning less. Now, hopefully, I've set the stage that I think sin's a big deal, okay? That, that it is a huge deal. But the re, what happens, let me ask some questions and you can let it process your head. When sin is the primary focus, when not doing the wrong thing and only doing the right thing is the primary focus of my existence, what am I thinking about? What am I focusing on? What am I looking at? I'm looking at myself, right? I'm looking, we're looking at ourselves. What's well, one of the things, right? Am I doing good enough? Am I not doing good enough? Am I improving? Am I not improving? Am I doing better than last year? Am I doing this? Like, right? That's, our fo- that's one focus. Or, because we don't know where we're at, we look at other people. Go, okay, so I'm not doing good as that guy, but I'm definitely doing better than that guy, right? Like, so I'm doing all right, right? Because I'm like somewhere tearing in the middle, right? What are we, we're focusing on their actions, my actions, my, right? Stick with me. I know this kind of sounds like possibly maybe controversial, but it's, it's really not. What occupies our thoughts? What are we thinking about? How are we measuring growth? How are we measuring success? What do we think heaven is? Right? I, I talk to a lot of people that, that is in this kind of cultural aspect, and they're like, man, I can't wait to get to heaven where I'm finally perfect and I don't sin anymore. That's true. That happens. Okay? I'm not saying that doesn't happen. But, like, heaven is sinlessness, finally. Right? And success is me doing it well enough, right? Like I'm doing more good and I'm sinning less and heaven's finally being perfect. So let me ask a question. If that's our emphasis, if that's our focus, what's missing? Who's missing? Jesus. Jesus is missing. Our focus isn't on Jesus. Not always, right? Our focus isn't on being with God, often our focus ends up being on us or on others, right? And so here's the thing, and I'm going to get into the, how it all ends up looking the same, is we're not looking at Jesus' works, we're not looking at his goodness, we're not focused on his approval, and heaven is, is, is we're not looking at that, that heaven is a future with him. We've lived our life with him, and heaven is just an extension of that, where we get to be with God. Here's what I'm trying to say, is Jesus is the end. He's not a means to the end. If Jesus is a means to the end where we're going, I need Jesus so that I can be good, feel good, be perfect, not have to sin anymore, then we're making Jesus. Then if he is not the prize, if he is not the goal, if he's not what we're longing for and pursuing, then I would say that we're missing out on something that's really awesome. We're missing out on this relationship with the creator of the world and we're missing out and enjoying him in a, in a cool way. I love Paul in Philippians chapter 3. He kind of talked about this, and I'm going to read it to you guys. 3, I'm going to start in verse 4. Paul saying, uh, this is the Apostle Paul, right? Used to be a Pharisee, pretty awesome dude. Though I myself have reasons for confidence in the flesh, he's talking about how great he was doing, 
If anyone else thinks he has reasons for confident flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day, right, being a good Jewish kid. I was of the people of Israel. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. As to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, I persecuted the church. And as to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish or garbage in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the powers of his resurrection, and that I may share in his sufferings and becoming like him in his death, that it may be, in any, it may be possible I may attend, attain to the resurrection of the dead. Paul saying, listen, I did all of it. I was as good as you could possibly be. Like I, at the end, and I count it as rubbish, that I might know him, and I might know Jesus. That word know in the Greek is gnosko, and it means to know by experience, right? It's not like know about, right? I could say I know about Michael Jordan or whatever big time star there is, right? You know, you know everything about him. You know where they're born. You know every stat, but do you know them? No. That is what Paul's saying. I might know Jesus. Like, I want to know him. All of it is garbage. All of it is rubbish that I might know Jesus. And so when we start looking at it through that way, success is knowing and loving Jesus more. Life is enjoying and loving Jesus more and more. That's life. And heaven is being with Jesus forever. And here's the thing. I promise you this. I guarantee this. If our emphasis and our focus is loving Jesus more, if our emphasis and focus is knowing Jesus the sin will take care of itself. Holiness is a byproduct of relationship with the creator of the universe. The sin will follow. But if your focus is only on sinning less, I've heard pastors proclaim that, hey, the part of being Christianity is, is learning to sin, not sin as much. I'd say, man, the point of Christianity is being with Jesus, right? It'll take care of itself. Which is why I think that uh, Luke saying, and repentance why I think repentance is so good, and I mentioned this last week, but I, I want to talk a little bit more about it, is that when we see these inconsistencies, when we miss the mark, when we struggle, when we're focused is not on the right things, we're pursuing the wrong things, we're able to turn from those things when we see them and turn back to Jesus. We don't have to go through a long ceremony. We don't have to jump through a bunch of hoops. Repentance simply means to turn, and it implies that you're turning from one thing to another thing. That's what it's implying, right? And so we're turning from our pursuit of our own forms of righteousness, whatever it may be, our own struggles, and we're turning back to Jesus. And, and what we're doing in that time is that we're remembering, we're remembering that we're loved by God. We're remembering that Jesus forgave us. We're remembering that Jesus did everything necessary. We're remembering that his work is what makes us right with God. And so we're able to go, I don't have to pursue these things. I've struggled in what I was doing. I was missing the mark. And Jesus, I come back remembering what you have done so that I can, I can be made whole, right? So that I, you are the end of what I'm pursuing. Repentance is simply turning from one thing 
and turning back to Jesus and trusting him. And I would say that at the end of the day, and I mentioned this last week, is that repentance is any movement towards God, any movement towards God, right? And, and, and I would say, like, at the end of the day, that ultimately is what growing as a follower of Jesus is. It's this constant learning and remembering and reminding and moving from the world and moving towards God as he is moving towards us. And so it's important. And forgiveness of sin is important. Hebrews 10, 14 and 18 says this. For by a single offering, he, speaking of Jesus, has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer an offering of sin. I like that, forgiven for all time. So we are, those that have trusted in following Jesus, you're forgiven. So when you find those inadequacies, when you find those struggles, you look to Jesus, like you're forgiven, like for all time, right? It's not like maybe, it's not like, well, everything in the past, you better get it to dialed in now, but for all time, Jesus paid for every sin. And so we can be and trust that we are forgiving. Every wrong, every evil, everything Jesus paid for on the cross. I can't work it off. I can't pay God back. I have to accept the free gift of grace and his forgiveness. And here's the beautiful part, is when God looks at you and when God looks at me, if you're trusting Jesus, right, when he looks at us, he sees Jesus's work. He sees Jesus's goodness. He sees Jesus's righteousness covering you. He's, your approval and your favor is because of Jesus and Jesus alone. And so that allows us to come before God with boldness and confidence, knowing that it's not up to my holiness. It's not up how well I did yesterday with this coach that was obnoxious, like, and I failed miserably, right? It says, I can come before Jesus and be like, listen, I messed up, but Jesus, you didn't mess up. Thank you. Thank you that you are the one that makes me right before God. You are the one that rakes me right for God. So proclaiming repentance and forgiveness of sin is good. It's a good thing, and it's, we all need to be reminded of it. And so then he moves into, on the Great Commission, into baptism. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. I think we have spent quite a bit of time on it in the past. But at the end of the day, baptism, for those that repent and trust Jesus for the first time, and, and experience the forgiveness of sin for the first time, right? Like these people that are starting to follow Jesus, baptism in scripture is always what follows. Baptism doesn't save, right? The thief on the cross wasn't baptized, but it does sanctify. Sanctify means there's a setting apart. There's a, there's a setting apart for a specific purpose. At the end of the day, baptism is this outward reflection of what's already taken place inside. And when we are baptized and we're, we go into the water, what we're communicating to everybody present, there's always a public event, right, is that I'm a, now a follower of Jesus, that he is my king, I'm following him, and that through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, I have been forgiven of all my sins, and I get to spend the rest of my life, and even after I die, with Jesus, and that it's through his life, death, and resurrection, I'm able to do that. And the idea is that when we go into the water, the old person that I was, the person before I was a follower of Jesus, dies. Everything I was, everything I did, my reputation, my, all of that is dead. And when we come out of the water, we're risen to new, representing being born again, and we're, we have a new life and a new identity and a new purpose. And so baptism reflects, right? It's, it doesn't make happen, but it's a reflection that 
in Jesus, we have a new, first off, we have a new name, right? It said baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's important because back then a name was who you were, right? The name wasn't just, just, wasn't just like how people refer to you. It was like your name was like part of your career. Your name was part of your class and your status, right? But when you, so as the church is growing and these people are coming all this place, they're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're baptized into a new name. They have a new value and purpose. They have a new class. They are now children of God. But they also have a new identity because with that name came the identity and now our identity is fixed in Jesus. And so I think Paul in Galatians 2.20 says it well. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so that's kind of a brief overview of what baptism is. So I'm going to finish off our time with looking at the last couple parts of what Paul said. He said, teaching them to observe all that I commanded. So we're going to look at everything Jesus commanded them in five minutes. I'm just joking. We're not. We're not going to do that. At the end of the day, Jesus is, what he commanded people was, was pretty, pretty uh, short, but very hard, right? What did Jesus command? Well, he, he was the promised Messiah, like I, I mentioned, that God sent to reconcile Israel. He demonstrated the love of God that he had for him. He was on, putting God on display so people could know God and experience his love. But I would say that the first and foremost thing that Jesus communicated is that he wanted everyone to know that God loves them, right? That is the first, I, I mean, I love John 3.16. We see it in all like the cartoons, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved. I would say that the core part of the good news is that you are loved by God. Not just if you're a Christian or not. God loves you no matter where you're at, no matter what your struggle is, that you are loved by the Father. You are loved, like deeply. And his love is called agape. It's unconditional, right? It's like it's not earned. You can't do anything to maintain it. You're loved by God. And the reason why this is important is the more that we understand that we're loved by God, it has a changing effect on our souls. It changes us. It softens us. It makes us different. The more I understand that, the more I believe that and trust it, I begin to function in this, and it radically, radically changes me. It changes my desires. It changes my wants. It changes my actions. It changes me. So then what happens? Well, then what? We see Jesus gives a command in Matthew. He gives the greatest commandment, right? Matthew 22, 37 through 40 basically says that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And Luke 10 says something similar. He said, you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And so we see that as we know we're loved, as we start letting that permeate our soul, we want to respond, right? Like if you're loved by another person and they're saying, I love you, right? Naturally, what ends up happening is we want to respond to that. And so Jesus says, you respond by loving God in this very holistic way, right? Heart, soul, mind, strength, heart. There's aspects. And here's the thing. I love that, I love that Jesus has put these 
different elements in there. It comes back from De- Deuteronomy. God was intentional because just as we all have different love languages in human relationships, I think that we naturally default to different love ways we love God, right? So you're loving God with your heart. It might be like, I just, I just want to feel it. I just get emotional. I lost of tears. I just want to sing forever. Like, awesome, right? But you don't, don't look at the guy next to you that's just like studying commentaries, right? And like reading the Greek and be like, what are you doing, bro? You just need to like experience the love of God. He's like, I am. I'm loving God with my mind, right? And then you're like, the guy reading all the commentaries, like this guy is serving his face off, sweating, right? Setting everything up. And they're going like, dude, you need to study commentaries more. Like you need to get in a Bible study, bro. And he's like, I'm loving God with my strength. I'm loving God, right? Mind, strength, soul, right? Persons maybe that just wants to go sit on a mountain and just like pray for hours. Deep meditation of, of God's scriptures and, and times of silent solitude. Now, what that doesn't say is that you should just stay in that lane. I tell you, we should all be growing in how we want to love God. The command is to learn to love God in all of these different aspects of us as human beings, right? But we're going to naturally default into loving God and and, and kind of what's more natural and comfortable for us. And so this, as you can see, is a lifelong opportunity, experience, challenge to learn how to love God in this holistic way. And that's what all of the New Testament is trying to teach us. Like, you love God this way, and servants, and you love it with community, and your friends, and all these other things. Like, we're learning to love God more. But also, the other part of the great commandment is that love your neighbor as yourself. So as we're loving, we're experiencing, and we're knowing that we're loved by God, and we're wanting to learn and grow in our love for Him more and more, if that's all that we stay in, which we won't, I promise you, like, we'll want to love others. Like, that's not what God designed with. His design was that we'd take that love, we'd experience it, and we'd learn to love him, and then learn to love others. Our neighbor, our family, whoever, coworker, that we're loving others. Because I am loved, I love God, and I love others. And I'm, and I'm able to love others, not because necessarily they always deserve it, but I'm able to love others because I am loved even at times that I don't deserve it, right? And so practically, how do we grow in these areas? I've mentioned a couple of times, we, we grow in our love for God and others in, in spending time with Jesus. We spend time with Jesus in Scripture, right? Like in, in Scripture, reading through, the, like, through Scripture, through the Bible, through prayer. We, we grow in our relationship and our love for God and others in gathering together, right? Times like this where we're coming and being reminded of the goodness and glory of God. We're worshiping together. We grow in that way. We grow in community. We grow through relationship with others. The best way to love other people is in relationship with other people. The best way to experience God's love is through your, the people that you're in relationship with, right? We grow in our love for God in serving and participating in his mission and what he's doing. That's a way that we can grow as we're working and sweating with one another as we do and participate in God's mission. And so at the end of the day, to sum up, I would say teaching all that Jesus commands is a process of growing in our understanding of God and who God is and what he's done because of his deep love for the world, right? We're understanding that what God's done for us in the world and that we're learning um, to love him and our neighbor more every single day, right? Like that is what it is at the end of the day. And so... We'll close with this. 
the last thing that Jesus says in the Great Commission, he says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, right? So through all of this, the last promise Jesus makes is his presence, which is also the goal. Being with Jesus, experiencing his presence, being with him is it's such a sweet promise, and it's such the goal. It's a fulfillment of what was prophesied that, that Emmanuel, like God with us, right? Like he'll literally be with us. It's a promise that God wants to be with you, right? Like he wants to be with you, right? He wants to spend, like he wants to be with you and wants to be, you to be in his presence. That's why Jesus came. And nothing really can hinder that. And so he's inviting the world to enjoy his presence. And that comes sometimes through us, right? We are permeating the presence of God like we're, we are the, the best way that happens, but sometimes it comes through just spending time with him. That's the point of everything is relationship with the creator of the, of the universe. And I think that with that, that really fulfills the roles of, of temples, right? As, as the idea that God's presence only dwelt in one little room and one little building and one little city and one little nation in the entire world. And now God made a way for his spirit and his presence to dwell in each and every one of us, which is why he says that you, the church, is a temple of God. And so now, rather than people spending time and effort traveling and flying so they can go to Jerusalem and maybe get close enough to this wall where God's presence is, we, God sends us out. He sends his temples to our neighbor, to our coworkers, to our friends, to our family, to whoever. And we go inviting people to know the creator of the universe. And that's what it is at the end of the day when we're to go and make disciples. And so with that, the worship team can come back up. And I just want to encourage you guys. Just, I want you guys to be comforted and encouraged that God is at work within you, right? That he's at work within you, that he is not finished with you. And for those that are, have put their trust in Jesus, a reminder that you are forgiven. You're forgiven. And that you're loved and that you're accepted because of Jesus. And that you're not alone. His spirit is within you. And that you're part of a new kingdom with a new family and a new country and a new king. And you can trust him because he's good. He's really good. And so, as we continue worshiping and, and singing and we do have communion available in the front, and when we start singing, you can come up and grab one, and you can take it whenever you want.